It's car con carne. Con Carne, it is Quarantine Con Carne. We're all in lockdown right now. Quarantine Con Carne, sponsored tonight by Siren Records McHenry, now offering curbside pickup and online ordering. Check out their new website at sirenrecordsmchenry.com. If you're in a band, if you own a label, if you want to get your product in a store, message them on social media or just call the store. Siren Records McHenry, always looking to support local music. Con Carne, also sponsored tonight by C&H Financial Services. Across the country, we find Jamal Eigel, comic book creator, star. Thank you for doing this. Nice to meet oh, you no problem. virtually. <laughs> so, Thanks, James. <laughs> before we start talking about all your stuff, before we talk about Molly Danger and everything you've done, Firestorm, New Warriors, Supergirl, this is an interesting time for creatives. I mean, you're probably more used to working out of your house than most, but the hustle, I, I think, is more critical to a creative's survival than ever before. I mean, you working at finding innovative ways around all this as someone with marketing stripes, as someone with a background of hustling to make things happen. Mm-hmm. How have you been navigating through the pandemic? It's been interesting. Um, well, mostly because I'm used, I had been used to being, having the house to myself for the most part during <laughs> right. the day. And my wife is working from home. My daughter is doing uh, home is home as well because you know, as with you guys in Chicago, you know they they sent all the kids home, gave them computers, and you know, and now she's doing everything on Zoom. So it's been sort of interesting trying to find a rhythm for the three of us yeah. in terms of like you know meals and scheduling and you know who's got to do what when and you know we have a dog, so the dog's got to be walked fit my workout in and all this other stuff work-wise it's pretty much the same um but because everything is pretty much relegated to communicating via zoom or facebook or whatever now it's i find myself uh trying to catch up with people more yeah than i probably would have in under normal circumstances so that's been interesting work-wise it's been pretty much the same we've had a pretty steady stream the entire time and i guess that dovetails into the next question what is the state of the industry through all this seems like it could be a potentially dark period for the comics business well yes and no um if you look at it from a historical standpoint uh, media and the arts have always thrived through economic adversity. So I could, st- I think one of the, the big questions that is happening with the industry right now uh, on multiple fronts is will digital have, make a bigger footprint than it already has because the footprint so far, it's been kind of minimal, at least with like superhero comics and the, the, the American industry, as opposed to say like Japanese and Korean comics, which are, most of them are online now. You got like companies like Line Webtoon uh, that are doing huge numbers overseas, but don't have the same penetration here. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of it. The other part of it is, again, you know, it's, just, it's kind of, most of us are used to working at home. 
a lot of the creators involved in comics are working digitally anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. You know, my inker, uh, Juan Castro, who I've been working with for about eight years, lives in Tijuana. So I send him everything, and he just, once he's done inking things on his end, he uploads everything on Dropbox and whatever I don't send him, and I'm doing generating myself other than the actual line, or, line art cause because I like to draw on paper as opposed to on my tablet, but I still, I color and I do production and I do all that on the computer as well. So, you know, workflow hasn't really changed. Um, when the, the, when distribution channels stopped, that had a lot of people worried. Now we're in a situation where we have multiple distributors again. Yeah. And people are trying to figure out how that's going to work. DC Comics in particular seems to be of the mindset that, and rightfully so, and I actually agree with their line of thinking, is that we need as many venues to get product out there as possible. We can't be in a situation where the one distributor in the industry shuts down and puts everything to a stop. Right. So here we are. And here we are. <laughs> you mentioned digital. For my entertainment, as a, as a consumer, I love reading books, actual prose books on a tablet. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer that. When it comes to comics, I have a bunch of digital comics. My comicsology library is huge. But at the end of the day, I still like holding a comic or a trade. Mm -hmm. it, it's no comparison for me. How about you? I'm I'm a print guy, you know. <laughs> I got, you know, I got my I got my books. You know, I I like having things in print, but I am getting more used to reading comics digitally as well. I was trying to get into web comics for a while, and there's so many really well done web strips, but there's also so much content. And I think yeah. that's part of the problem is there's so much out there that you don't, re unless you really know a particular platform and what's on it, it, you know, you can be, it can be overwhelming. I like print books. I, I like seeing my work in print. I get a, a jazz of seeing sure. my work in print. So that's never going to go away. But I also have to recognize realities of how, you know, the world is moving forward in terms of, you know, what younger uh, readers are interested in. Younger kids, kids younger than us, you know, I'm going to be 50. You know, kids, you know, my daughter is 12. You know, she does everything. She reads, she reads books because we're a house of readers. But she's drawing on a tablet, mm -hmm. you know, which is not, you know, something that I grew up, that's something I had to learn. It's second nature to her. Yeah. Talking about the differences between say your kid's age and I have kids around the same age as well. Uh, when we grew up, we were starved for live action superheroes. Mm -hmm. We saw Superman, the movie in theaters. <laughs> we got excited when Lou Ferrigno turned into the Hulk and when, Thor and Daredevil guest starred on that show. It was whatever, oh. whatever scraps you could get. I, mean, I keep telling people it's all we had. You have, I suffered through the red brown Captain America movie. Yes. I saw the Punisher with Dolph Lundgren in the theater. How about Dr. Strange? Oh, I were, oh man. There Dr. was a horrible Strange. pilot. Yes. There was, there was a Peter Houghton, I think. The, yes. 
the Red course, Brown Captain America movies. That was like the first Marvel thing that I remember seeing that in the Spider the uh, Nicholas Hammond Spider Man yes. that came on. They they would sh- because there was nothing else. They would show it like Channel Five here, which is like the the local New York station. Like they would show that on like a Sunday afternoon when there was nothing else to play. They ran out of karate movies, so they reshowed the pilot. <laughs> for that right like show. these kids today they don't realize i i was watching star girl with my son a couple a couple nights ago i'm like our man solomon grundy like i know they don't, they I don't know. know how good they have it now. i know i know but again you know our kids are about the same age they've grown up in a world where marvel has consistently put out good movies yeah. for over a decade you know, they don't know anything else. They don't know the suffering of sitting through. Did you did you ever see the Generation X pilot? The, the never the did. Season? Never did. Oh, it's bad. It's so bad. Wait, I, was that with the guy who played Lex Luthor on the Lois and no, Clark show? No, no. You're thinking of Mutant X, which was That's the it. syndicated show. That's it. Generation X. It had uh, Bumper Robinson and Fiona Hughes was playing Emma Frost, and then I forget the name of the guy who played Banshee. But it was it was bad. It was really. It had Matt Brewer. He was the bad oh, guy. Yeah, and he was yeah. doing his best Riddler impression. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> and the reason why I bring all this up, yes, we are in the salad days of live action television. Right. Supergirl is a flagship show uh, on the CW. You worked on the character. Things you did. Your name have found their way into the TV show. Mm. It's not even a question, Jamal, but really, how cool is that? It's pretty damn cool. <laughs> it's pretty. I remember I, a friend of mine had leaked the pilot to me before the show aired, and I was I'm watching it, and there's that scene where she's like trying on you know the different costumes, and they go right. you know fire reported on the, the corner of Gates and Eigel, and I'm just like what? Uh-huh. What, what? What? Wait, go back. Yeah, they did name check us. <laughs> so I immediately emailed Sterling Gates. It's like, dude, I can't tell you how I saw this, but, you know. <laughs> Get your DVR ready. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it is, it's pretty cool. You know, between that and then, like, them kind of using my Firestorm design on Legends of Tomorrow and, you know, little things that pop up every once in a while on some of the CDW shows where you're just like, oh, yeah, I remember drawing that. Uh, I remember talking about that stuff. Now, I was late to the Firestorm revival. I mean, full mm. disclosure, what hooked me in was number 10. What it had me to, it would just pulled my, pulled my attention off the rack, that cover, the original Firestorm, yeah. the new Firestorm, like, oh, how could you pass that one up? Yeah, and then absolutely. I went back and, and got caught up. <laughs> what, what a fun run that was. It, it was. It, it came at a time where... I was I was working on a French graphic album series. I'd been working on that for a couple of years at that point. And it wasn't something that was even on my radar when they offered it to me. And it actually was really funny because I turned down the job originally. I, uh, <laughs> uh, Pete Tomasi, who's the writer on Detective Comics now, but was the editor was an editor at DC and I'd known him and I'd done some work for him before he calls me up and he asked me if I wanted to do a fill in issue, which would have been firestorm number six, but I couldn't do it. And I was, cause I was finishing up the second album for, uh, for humanoids. And I hung up the phone, thought that was going to be the end of it. And then he called me back the next day 
and he offered me the series and I said, you know what, I really can't do this. I, I would love to, but I can't, I'm busy. I hung up the phone, I took two steps away. I'm like, what are you doing? So I <laughs> called him back and I took the job. So, and that, you know, I thought it was gonna be, you know, six months and out. Seven years later, I was still working at DC, you know, doing monthlies, so. Do you remember what your first comic book was that you ever bought as, as a young boy? Ooh, I don't remember with my own money. Uh, <laughs> I, I would, the first comic book that I remember my mother buying for me was Alpha Flight number 12. So you started late, relatively speaking. I, I start, yeah, I start. I mean, I'd known about superhero stuff. Like I'd been reading superhero stuff. It, it, was, it was kind of this thing where I, my life always seemed to revolve around superheroes. So, you know, it's like you're watching The Adventures of Superman and Batman and, you know, The Greatest American Hero and The Incredible Hulk and, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, my mom, uh, when I was a kid, she took the, uh, the Spider-Man newspaper strip, the header, the John Romita header, and she did a mural of it on my bedroom wall. That's a cool mom. Yeah, she and she did uh, Little Orphan Annie for my sister on the other wall. So it was just like, yeah, my mom's that, pretty cool. That's, but, a, that's <laughs> a great story. You know, and it's, you know, again, it's the same thing. Like like you, you know, I got into, I got into superheroes because of Superman the movie. I got into comics later because I had a mom who was willing to buy comic books for me and saw that I had this this love and this passion and always encouraged me and never said, Oh, this is stupid. Why are you reading this? You know, she was encouraging me to read. She was encouraged. She saw that I liked superheroes. She saw that I liked, you know, Superman in particular. And she, she indulged that, that, that passion in me. So, and that's the secret as a parent. I mean, you're a parent. Yeah. You have to, if a kid shows an inclination towards something, you have to keep fanning those flames. You, you oh, have absolutely. to, the thing that I found especially is that you can't push a kid. Mm -hmm. like you can, you can want them to do something, but if they don't show any interest, like, there's no point because they're going to be miserable and you're going to be miserable, especially if you're the one who has to take them places. Exactly so, right. <laughs> there's certain times when you have to force a kid to do something that, you know, that's for their own good. But, you know, like with my daughter, she's starting, she's starting to draw and she's starting to write her own stories. And that's something that, we encouraged, but that wasn't something that we pushed on her. You know, that, that's something that she wanted to do and that she's choosing to do. So I'm trying to encourage that in her. But that's, you know, it's, that's it. It's, yeah, you know, but you know, I, I, I don't know how much of it is nature versus nurture. I mean, she's, you know, she's raised by a couple of nerds. So <laughs> were you one of those kids who was always scribbling on his school notebooks and folders? School notebooks, folders. I used to make, uh, I used to, me and my friends would take like styrofoam from like refrigerator boxes. We'd pass them into ships for our G.I. Joe figures. That's like amazing. we'd like repaint. I once made like a castle out of like a bunch of tender Biddles boxes. That's amazing. <laughs> I, you know, there's a very famous story in my family where we were at my great aunt Lillian's house and apparently I decided that I was gonna take a roll of aluminum foil while I was watching Buck Rogers and start making a Starfighter out of aluminum foil. <laughs> 
again, kids today, they don't realize we had Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Exactly. With robot. They're tweaky. <laughs> they don't know how good they have it right now. No, they do not. They do with not. With all their Netflix all. choices and Disney Plus and whatever, they have no idea. I, every, so, every so often, I will go on YouTube and I will show my daughter like old Saturday morning cartoons from like the seventies and eighties. And just like, this is what we had. I had, you have like manga and anime and Netflix and Hulu and all of these shows. I had the Pac-Man adventure hour. Or Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Okay. No, I'm not going to disparage Spider-Man and amazing friends. That was cool. <laughs> that was, that was, that was, I was all, I was all over that. So as an independent creator, people are familiar with a lot of the characters you touch. You know, we, talk, we mentioned Supergirl and Firestorm. There's New Warriors. For people who may not know all there is to know about you, Jamal, mm-hmm. tell us, who's Molly Danger? Molly Danger is a 10-year-old superhero who's been 10 years old for two decades. So she, as I'll, she's the world's most popular hero, but she's also the loneliest little girl in the world. She doesn't have any friends. Well, she has one friend that she's not supposed to have and she doesn't have a secret identity and it's uh she's she is my love letter to my daughter basically that's amazing and going independent i i think we see so many creators do it cut your teeth at the the big guys and then being able to strike out on your own there's it's scary i'm sure but there's a definitely liberating feeling to doing that isn't there no absolutely um and it's something that i think about all the time especially you know now at this point you know eight years later with multiple creator owned or creator participation projects that i've been working on um i don't mind dipping my toe back into the waters with the bigger companies but at the same time there's a certain amount of autonomy that i have doing my own thing not just creatively because that's the one benefit but at the same time i have my own voice when i speak to people online i'm not you know toting a certain corporate line or having to behave a certain way because i'm afraid that somebody from upstairs is going to complain about you know my social media presence if I right. who let jamal talk to the press yeah exactly you know who, uh, you know oh god jamal's talking about politics again you know yeah. so I, luckily you know with the people that i work with now they're all as equally as politically twisted as i am so <laughs> and some in some cases even more so so it it you know it i feel like one of the things that happened as an independent creator for me is that i became more a more authentic voice if if that makes any sense at all. I, it makes perfect sense yeah, I, I think I, I, I talk to a lot of musicians mm-hmm. and I have for years same thing musicians put out stuff on a major label then the second they strike out on their own yeah it's a little harder you're back in the van you have to you know, sell your own merch right. but there you, you kind of refined your center you remember why you started doing this in the first place and you you feel like you feel alive. You feel like you are in control of your destiny. I mean, it's still a job and it still has its headaches, but at the same time, you know, it's, you know, one of the things that, that happened, one of the, 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 the benefits was I, it forced me to slow down. I had calculated at one point it, I had basically about three or four years where I was sleeping four hours a night just to make deadlines. 
you know, six to seven days a week. And you can't well, be at your best working those hours. No, no, I was towards the end of my run at DC. I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable and everybody could see it. Every, you know, I was getting really getting burnt out sure. because you're not supposed to work at that pace. My health was bad. You know, I was, you know, severely overweight. Like, I, you know, high blood pressure, pre-diabetic, just, you know, everything. And what happened once I was able to take that step back and find a center for myself, you know, not just, you know, emotionally, but physically, you know, I, I started working out, I started eating better, you know, dropped initially, I dropped like a, almost 140 pounds. Good for you. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've kept off a hundred of it. You good know, for you then. so you know it's it's all you know but it's it's something that i didn't realize about myself at the before then or i didn't give myself the opportunity to realize that i could put that kind of effort into something other than my artwork or you know put the that kind of effort into my family and being with my family and, you know and communicating with my friends and being you know you know, being freer to be myself and discovering who Jamal actually is, as opposed to just, you know, Jamal the art drone. Yeah, totally get it. All right, so looking ahead, what what should we be paying attention to now? What's in the works for you? Okay, well, I, I, a couple of years ago, I did a, I was part of a Kickstarter for a series called Black, which was published by Black Mass Studios. And that got optioned by Sony and the first book came out and everybody loved it. We did a second Kickstarter for a sequel. I just finished, uh, which is called White, which should be out sometime later this year, I think. Um, I, finished, I finished that a couple of weeks, weeks ago and they're, they're working on there and then. And last, the year before last, I did another series called The Wrong Earth with uh, Tom Pyre for Ahoy Comics that co-created with him. And I just started working on the sequel to The Wrong Earth. So that will probably, depending on timing, maybe the end of the year, beginning of next year, depending on how uh, Ahoy puts together the schedule. So that's the stuff that I'm working on. And I'm working on a second Molly Danger book. And, you know, other than that, I'm just trying to survive this. <laughs> trying sounds to like survive. enough. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely sounds like enough. Well, Jamal, I, I appreciate you checking in from quarantine. And before we uh, wrap up the, the Facebook Live, I do want to thank some people who've been watching. Bill, Brian, Molly, Jean, Jeff, uh, Giorgio, who says that has to be an amazing feeling. He was talking about some of your ideas and hearing your name on Supergirl on the CW. That's pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John, Dan, Joel. Tyler, Susie, Chris, Katie, Brian, thank you all for watching. And I'm going to stop the Facebook Live. Thank you, Facebook folks. And thank you, Jamal. I hope, oh. I hope that was quick and painless and fun. I, I enjoyed talking to you. It was fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to interview me, man. 